Well, good morning. One of the hardest to get, most difficult to, to live out, toughest things to hold on to, uh, ideas in, in the Christian life is this. A Christian lives for the sake of others. A Christian is to live for the sake of the people around him or her. And this idea of living for the sake of others is central to a biblical understanding of what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to, to be a Christian. Literally to be a little Christ, a little Jesus, Jesus representative in the world rather than somebody who merely plays at discipleship. We are to have the mindset and the attitude of Jesus Christ. That's the theme of this message this morning. I mean, listen to the emphasis that the Apostle Paul places on this idea as he writes to the Philippians at Philippi. It begins with, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, translation, if Jesus has made any real dent in you, if being a follower of Christ, if it has had an effect on you, a real effect on you, Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, that begs the question, with whom are we to be in one mind and and one spirit, one love. With everybody around us? With the people who are just like us? With the people that we naturally like ourselves? With the people who return that and like us? No, says Paul. Have the same love, spirit, and mind as Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit. Don't, in other words. Don't be self-focused. Don't be self-centered. I mean, we don't like that in people when we meet them, do we? When people, you know, we, sometimes we kind of hide our, those things. But when somebody's just, just brazenly, hey, it's about me, you know. I'm the best. What's in it for me? Um, what's, shouldn't there, there be more for me? Who's taking care of me? That sort of orientation, we don't like that when we meet that and see that in somebody else. I mean, that's what got human beings in trouble back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And it's been wrecking life ever since. The 5th century bishop, Augustine, said the essence of sin is this, called incurvatus in se, literally a curving in upon oneself, a turning inward, this tendency to think a great deal about our own feelings or opinions, our needs, our position. And Paul says Christians are not to be that way. We are to be outward focused, not inward focused. You are a new creation in Christ. You are the beloved children of the almighty God of the universe. The most brilliant and beautiful being of all time, Jesus Christ, loved us so much that he suffered and died for us. Paul says, in a sense, as Christians, you've won the paradise powerball, okay? You have an identity and a security that's unimpeachable. And while it takes a lifetime to fully live out this reality, if we get it, it's liberating and it's changes us from an outward, inward focus to an outward focus. I love how Clark Miller puts it. He says, because of Christ, I have retired from myself. I've gotten off the ego ladder. I'm just a servant now. In other words, he's curving out. Now, the Apostle Paul understood that this, this shift of orientation takes time for all of us, Right? I think it's why he writes this letter in part to the Christians in Philippi. He, he knows that we are always tempted 
as human beings to go back to the sinful, me-first way of looking at things and coming at life that way. And we begin to feel the pull to make our school days, our job, our marriage, our family relationships, our, our friendships, our politics, our church life, all about us and the people like us, our tribe. But Paul says this, Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, Paul is not saying, I'm not saying that we don't matter. Far from it. We are, again, as I've said, we are heaven's royal children. We have identity and gifts and a wisdom and a contribution that is needed in this world. So Paul is saying, don't think less of yourselves. He's just saying, just think of yourself less, as Jesus models for us. He says, in your relationships with others, have the same mindset as Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus Christ, who spoke when the world came into being, the scripture tells us that through him and in him, all things that have their being have been created through him. Nothing has, has been created without him or will be or is being created without him. That he's the king of the universe. That he's one with God, the father. Jesus did not use his position or his privilege or his power as something to be used mainly for his own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And he made himself Nothing. And he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death on a cross for the sake of others. That doesn't come naturally to us, does it? There's a story about a mother who was preparing a pancake breakfast for her two little boys on Saturday morning. I'm sure this has happened in your house. Uh, Her boys were named Kevin and Ryan. And the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Does that sound familiar? And their mom saw a perfect opportunity for a moral lesson. She said, now, boys, hold on a minute here. Let me tell you, if, if Jesus were sitting here at the table with you, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And the two children sat silent for a moment. And the mother thought, this is a sacred moment. I think they're getting it. And then the five-year-old Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that true? Isn't that how it works? I mean, that's the challenge, right? Choosing to be like Jesus when the pressure is on, when there's something on the line that we want, when there's a sacrifice involved. And so if we want to have the mindset and the attitude of Jesus Christ, we are not to use our position, our privilege, or our power for our own advantage only, but for the blessing of those around us, first and foremost. Practically speaking, we face that question every time the credit card comes out or the offering plate goes around. Is it my life about getting primarily or is it giving? We face it every time we're in a conflict at home or at work or about politics or in politics. Am I going to focus solely on my feelings and my preferences? Or is there a legitimate hurt or, or need or hunger on the other side that I could somehow serve or address? We choose it each time we come to church. Is the purpose of this to get my needs met? Or is it to help me to address the needs of others? 
Martin Luther King Jr. once said that life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And if you and I are genuine disciples of Christ and not merely admirers of him, then of course that is to be a persistent and urgent question that we must ask ourselves, what am I doing for others? It's why we are to carry the gospel into this world. It's why we exercise compassion to those who are stuck in a ditch. It's why we seek policies and politicians that advance biblical values essential to human thriving. It's why we pursue justice in the systems and structures of our society. This outward curving mindset is to be our distinctive brand. A Christian lives for the sake of others. Of course, then, the spotlight turns on us. Do we have the same mindset of Jesus Christ? There's a lot of places where that mindset and attitude of Christ is needed in our world. All sorts of issues face us in our community, our state, our country, our world, where the mindset and attitude of Christ is desperately needed to be applied. One area that I think of that's very much on the front burner in our nation right now is in the, the complex arena of, of race relations. We are living in a time when racial tensions are high and whole segments of our society are, are, are stuck in ditches and ways of looking at other people that they can't seem to escape. And as our country becomes more and more diverse, there's an increasing risk that we will descend further into a suspicious dog-eat-dog form of social Darwinism that will not be good for anybody. But here again, the voice of Dr. King still speaks with provocative clarity. Let me read this quote for you. It's a little bit long, but I'm going to read it all. He says, From time immemorial, people have lived by the principle that self-preservation is the first law of life. But this is a false assumption. I would say that other preservation is the first law of life, precisely because we cannot preserve self without being concerned about preserving other selves. He continues, The universe is so structured that things go awry if we are not diligent in our cultivation of the other regarding dimension. I cannot reach fulfillment without you. The self cannot be fully self without other selves. The Bible says that in the beginning, God created one family out of which would come all others. And then he concludes with this. Woven into that beginning was a web of mutuality and interdependence, a ministry of being helpmates to one another and stewards of the whole creation. Sin has blinded us to this reality. Adam and Eve turned on each other. Cain believed he was no longer his brother's keeper, but closing our eyes does not change reality. End quote. So regardless of our the skin of our color or our nationality or ethnicity or our socioeconomic background. Our lives are linked to one another just the same because we are all created in the image of God. And God loves all people and is calling all people to relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. It's in, it's in the structure of creation. And like the proverbial butterfly that flaps its wings in China, and changes the weather in Chicago, or the World Wide Web that links school kids in Salina, Kansas with school kids in Santiago, Chile. What happens in one place affects others in another place. We are bound together in a way that is devastating to ignore and delightful to discover once we appreciate the value that different others bring to our world 
and God's love and purpose for them. I'm going to leave you with a kind of a final behavior, one more creative action that you can take to bring more grace to all the issues that we face in our world that divide us so much. To begin to look and see others through God's eyes. And to dare to dream of what we could be together if together we open our eyes and follow the Lord. The reconciliation, the restoration, the unity, the oneness that could happen as we do so. One of my favorite movies is, the, is Remember the Titans. I'm sure many of you or most of you have seen it. Uh, the true story of Herman Boone, played by Denzel Washington. And he's brought in as the coach of a high school football team in Alexandria, Virginia, in the year uh, 1971. And because of government-mandated redistricting, black students and white students are going to high school together and being on the same athletic teams together for the first time in their lives. And early in the film, Gary, an all-American white player, and Julius, an African-American, who is the star of the defense, display brazen hostility toward each other, a sign of the kind of a, a lightning rod for the racial tensions on the team. And Coach Boone realizes this, and he takes the team off to a two-week summer camp, and he requires that Gary and Julius, along with other white and black players, share, be roommates and share rooms together. And in the early days of the camp, that's marked by all sorts of conflict, a racial brawl breaks out. White players deliberately miss blocks for black players, resulting in injuries and more hostility. And finally, in a climactic encounter, Julius confronts Gary. You're the captain, right? Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev? Because they've not blocked for him worth a plugged nickel. And you know it. And I'm supposed to wear myself out for this team? What team? And Gary fires back. That's the worst attitude I've ever heard. And Julius responds, Attitude reflects leadership. The next day at practice, Gary confronts a white player for failing to block for a black teammate. And the divided sides begin to work together, and each different part serves the whole body and is recognized as valuable, and they go on to win the championship. But the historical truth is, is that it was not just winning football games that brought about this reconciliation, this oneness. Shortly after a key victory in a very meaningful part of the movie, Gary suffers a car accident that leaves him paralyzed from the waist down. And it, it affects the team powerfully. And Julius walks to the room and the nurse sees his black face and says, only family are allowed in here. And Gary says, that's all right, Alice. Don't you see the resemblance? He's my brother. And as Julius stands at Gary's bedside, Gary says, when I first met you, I was... I was scared of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of. And as tears streamed down his face, Gary confesses, but then I saw I was only hating my brother. The attitude of Christ means that we do not see others as competition, as enemies, as less than, because of a particular trait or ethnicity or background. The attitude of Christ means that I see others as fellow human beings created in the image of God that I see others as people worthy of my respect and my love and my attention. The attitude of Christ means that I put others' needs before my own and that I don't use my own power and privilege and position for my benefit only, but for the benefit of others. In other words, a Christian, if we want to have the, the attitude of Christ, is to live for others. May God help us to follow the example of Jesus Christ and have his attitude.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We are grateful for the way that you have reached out to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not consider equality with your Father something to be grasped, that you you came down to earth as one of us, you humbled yourself, and you were obedient even to the point of death on the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you put our need for grace and forgiveness and peace and joy and and life. You put our needs for those things and so much more before your own. Lord, help us to be people like you, Lord Jesus, who live for the sake of others, who see others as you do, who use the gifts and privileges and power and positions that you've given us for the sake of others. And may we be of one mind and one heart and one spirit for your glory, Lord Jesus, so that through our unity and our love and our sacrifice in Christ within us, others might come to know the grace and the truth and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's through him that we pray. Amen.